This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to This is A Voice podcast, series two, episode three. I'm Jeremy Fisher. And I'm Gillian Kayes. We're going to start straight away with a question that's been sent in on our AMA uh, thing, SpeakPipe, speakpipe.com, if you want to ask us a question. Mm, We love questions. Yeah, and this is Steve Duguid. Hi both. What do you think of the current trend on YouTube, which is vocal coach reacts to, where a vocal coach watches and comments on a performance as if their opinion on a well-established performer should carry some level of weight. I find myself outraged that I'm consuming this and hundreds of others are too, especially when comments include, oh, she has a great belt. Of course she has a great belt. She's the current Regina George in Mean Girls and you told me that at the beginning of your video. Sorry. So should a vocal coach actually post things like this? Would you? Will you? How much subjectivity should be included and should you have to justify your opinions in any way? No, Steve. Oh, my goodness. say what you mean, Steve. Don't beat about the book. I absolutely love that. Should you, would you? Right, can, can I start? Yes. I think one of the reasons why there's more of these around at the moment is due to lockdown. And I'm going to be Mrs. Cynical, Dr. Cynical, which is, I think people are looking for work. So the question is, why might people do this? Why might people um, go on YouTube, listen to a cast recording or similar of a very famous person and make a commentary on them? Why might they do that? Is that a rhetorical question? Mm. Okay, answers on a postcard. Um, So while we're waiting for the answers on the postcard to come in, what are your thoughts? Well, um, we were discussing this earlier, actually. And one thing that you said, Jeremy, and I think it's important is this is totally unsolicited. I think what can happen, there's a sort of subliminal thing that goes on, which is, oh, right. Well, this teacher knows so much about that star. They must be really fantastic. Maybe they even teach them, but they haven't asked permission to make this kind of a commentary. So it's totally subjective. Yeah. And of course, we are all entitled to our opinions. But I think it's, for me, call me old fashioned. I think it's a way of claiming status without, again, having asked permission of the person concerned and without necessarily being able to inhabit that status. And I really liked what Steve said, Jeremy, where he said, um, You know, would you be able, should people be able to justify uh, what their comments are? And yeah, I think they should if they're going to do it. (laughs) That's what I think. And Jeremy, I'll let you talk more because I've I've got more thoughts. Yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff in there. Um, The permission thing is fascinating. Um, Mm. I want to just break that down a bit because, frankly, nobody needs permission to um, have an opinion. Mm. Everybody has an opinion. We all judge everybody and everything. The human beings judge everything because that's built in. So, yeah, that's a fact. Um, Do you have permission to um, give your opinion on YouTube? Well, you don't need it, frankly. You just film it and up it goes and and whatever. Mm. I think the interesting thing is the teacher, the teacher-student relationship. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about relationships quite a lot in this podcast because 
This is an interesting sort of grey area. When you think about a teacher-student relationship, what the student is doing is the student has come to the teacher specifically to find something out. Now, the student always, doesn't always know what that thing is that they're going to find out, but they know approximately. Mm. And the real thing that is important here is that the student asks the teacher and also usually pays the teacher. So there is an explicit relationship going mm, on. Mm. Um, and therefore, this is about you having permission to share your thoughts. Mm. It's not actually necessarily the permission of, you know, if you're watching a performer and you're judging a performer, that's one thing. But when you're talking about sharing your opinion with other people, this is about permission. Absolutely. I wouldn't dream of uh, making a commentary on anything that any one of my students had done without their explicit permission. And I think what it is, it, it's going back to this sort of subliminal thing that by making a commentary, there's a sort of by association, the idea that somehow perhaps as the teacher you have a link with or that you can teach at that level. And you know what? If you're going to make a commentary on a really famous person, you'd better be good you'd better be very, very good as a teacher because you are going to attract interest. Yeah. And, and there's a, a level at which this is perfectly legal clickbait and there's good clickbait and there's less good clickbait. I don't know if we're even going to allow this out. This is, uh, you have a very strong opinion on this. I and do, I'm, I'm I do. not as strong on it. Well, you, you are much more of a YouTube watcher than I am. I'm really late to the party. I'm, I'm, I'm much better now. I'm, I'm, I'm not as strong in it as, as you are. I think the important thing is the relationship issue. Mm. Um, and that's actually how you decide you're going to deal with that personally. Um, so in answer to, to Steve's, part of Steve's question, um, would we and are we going to? Uh, I've already been asked. And um, I'm really considering this very carefully. But there is one area that we would do and we are intending to do, which is vocal coaches react to their own stuff. So as part of the grand library that we're building, which at mm. the moment is is well over 400 videos of our stuff going back 15 years, we part of the plan is to actually watch some of the stuff that we made in 2005, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, watch it, comment on it, say how we've developed, say what we still think and what's now changed. Mm. And we feel that we, A, perfectly justified to do that because it's our stuff, um, but also because it's a sort of training and development thing mm. that when people, even when they've, they've um, downloaded, I mean, my original voice box video, the very first one was 2005. And um, people have watched that and, the, and the, the whole voice box video set. And we have now new thoughts about the way that we would translate what we see on screen. And we want to share that. So, yes, we are going to do it. But at the moment, only on our own stuff. Now, there is a value to um, reflecting on other people's performances, because oh, yeah. actually it's one of the ways that we learn, isn't yeah. it? Certainly what uh, it's one of the ways I learned when I was training as a singer in the old days when we had vinyls. And, you know, you would listen and kind of make assessments on, on what you hear. We do do it when we're teaching. And that's the difference when we're really teaching. Oh, well, yeah, but this is this is different. This is a different usage. The point is that when, I mean, somebody will bring in four or five different artists for a, a session with me mm. and go, I want to sound like her or her or her or mm. her or occasionally him. 
Um, and my job then is to analyse what that singer is doing, which is where the judgment comes in, mm. but then to show the singer in the room how to make either those sounds specifically if they're doing a, a cover number, cover band, or how to get that particular type of style in their own voice. And that's very much a teaching tool, and we're only halfway through the process when we're listening. We're listening and judging, but then working out how to put those things onto that other person's voice. Now, that's reverse engineering yes. and then putting it onto the other person's voice. We are all for reverse engineering. It's incredibly useful and it also gives you, quite often, ideas that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't mm. heard that that particular performance. The difficulty with the YouTube, you know, vocal coaches comment on, is that the end product is the YouTube video. Mm. The end product is the critique. It doesn't actually go any further than that. The only way that it might go further is basically if the vocal coach says at the, at the end, come to me and I will teach you to sing like whoever. Um, and that's a slightly different um, ending. Do you know what? You've really nailed why it is that I feel uncomfortable about it. Yeah. It's because the end product is different. Mm, the mm. end product isn't a teaching tool. The end product is a look at me tool. Mm, mm. That's why, Steve. Yeah. So in answer to your question, yes and no, which is quite often the answer that we give to people's questions, mm. yes and no, but there are specific contexts for it. I just wanted to pick up on the, the reverse engineering thing because we've been talking about you listen to a performance, you reverse engineer it, using your auditory skills and your visual skills, if you can see them. And then you work with the singer in the room to mm. help them find their version of that. We're not talking here about cloning something nope. that somebody else does, because I think that's a big mistake. We lose authenticity. And we might also be trying to make a sound that doesn't work that well in our own voice. I mean, I think this is, I know you're going to go on and say some more, but I think this mm. is really fascinating. The whole business of cloning somebody else's voice is that they have a particular instrumental setup. Their voice is a particular shape. It's a got a particular history. Mm. It's got a particular physiology. And in order to make the same sound that they make, you may be do the same thing. You maybe have to do something different physiologically, to get the same outcome. And in a way, this is the fascination about mm. singing or voice training, is that when you're aiming at something, there are so many different ways uh, of... It's like the input, the what you, the, what you do, the belief that you have, mm. to get the same outcome, which is the sound that comes out. And I think there's a lot of pedagogy around at the moment that doesn't understand that. It's based on outcome. It's based on outcome. Mm. I've analysed this outcome and it does this, and therefore you must do what I've just said you must do and you will get the outcome. Mm. Oh, you don't get that outcome. Well, then you must be doing it wrong. And it's this idea that, you know, you do one thing and you get this outcome, and then you do a different thing and you get a completely different outcome. And it isn't the case with singing training or vocal training, mm. voice training. Mm. I want to go to uh, when we have done analyses we, in, in yes. courses yes. where we, we listen to a particular singer. Yes. I mean, for instance, on the Mastering Musical Theatre streaming course, which uh, is heading for the library. Yes, it's going to be in the library. We, listen, we were um, working with people on the difference between more of a contemporary musical theatre style, for example, a Jason Robert Brown yep. song, and uh, something from, was it Carousel or was it, it Some was, Enchanted uh, no, Evening, it, it South, was, Pacific. Um, South Pacific? Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that we like to do uh, to find not only the style features, but what we describe as the signature vocal setting mm. is that we speak 
in the manner of the singer. And mm. anyone who's worked with us knows this is one of our own signature techniques and it really works very well mm. because it takes people out of their singing brain so that they can start to feel what it is that they're doing differently. Do you want to say a little bit about that from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, it's something that we, we did in quite a lot of detail in Mastering Musical Theatre and we mm. listened to, to um, tracks and then um, analysed what they were doing, put it into the speaking voice, got the audience to do it in their own speaking voice, mm. and then put it back into the singing voice, uh, keeping as much of the speaking voice set up as, as we could. And it sounds odd when you describe it. Mm. So I'll, I'll give you a little demo. Yeah, what are you going to do? Um, I'll do the South Pacific thing. Okay, Some Enchanted Evening? No, it wasn't. It, no, it wasn't Some Enchanted. This nearly was mine. Was mine. Um, what are the lyrics to that? <laughs> now, now I'm alone. Still dreaming of paradise, that'll do. Okay, so if I just say, now, now I'm alone, still dreaming of paradise, now, now I'm alone, still dreaming of paradise, that's pretty much very, very close to my speaking setup mm. normally. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but the speaking, the, the setup that's required for something like South Pacific is very lyric. It's called legit musical theatre. It's, it's actually operatic-ish, classical-ish in style, but with some Mm. tweaks. And so the requirement is a slightly different sound and a different setup. So if I go into the sort of sound that um, I might use in that... This is my speaking voice, and obviously in the speaking voice it's really quite extreme. But the moment that you sing, now, now I'm alone, still dreaming of paradise, then you hear how that setup actually works in the speaking voice. What lovely vowels you have, dear. Thank you very much. I'm very flattered. And that was quite an old-fashioned recording. We deliberately went to one of the earlier ones, I think. We didn't, actually. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. It's, it's, uh, this is the point. This is the old-fashioned lyric, legit musical theatre mm. is actually quite classic mm. in its setup. Mm. So in the same course, we did um, lyrical musical theatre. We did contemporary conversational mm. And then we did sort of gospel R&B based. Mm. And that was really interesting, noticing the way that people do things differently, the way that the delivery is different, the uh, pronunciation is different, the vowel shapes are Mm -hmm. different, Mm. consonant use is different. There's all sorts of things that are different. Mm. Mm. Really fascinating course. So, yes, we have just... uh, We're editing that at the moment to put Mm. in the library. um, And the library will, fingers crossed, be out fairly soon. So um, you will be able to get pretty much every resource that we have created since 2005. Mm. Great. This is taking me to the way that we work with individual singers. I'm thinking of a course that we did recently, which is the Belting and Power Sounds. Yes, online. One of our pop-ups. And it's a very practice-based course. So as part of the course, we uh, break up into small groups and we have uh, sample songs that people are going to explore to try and move into more of a power setup with with their singing voice. And I had two, I had a number of, uh, I think they were all women in my group, actually, and two women with very different speaking voices. 
And uh, one of them came from more of a, a kind of a Greek cultural background and had quite a, um, a deep speaking voice. If you think about if you ever heard um, women speak in Greek, they're quite low pitched and often the tongue is quite back or the tongue is quite down. Mm. Um, this is just a very generalized statement. And the other was, I, th- I would say, more um, estuary. Um, in in the UK, uh, so anywhere from Kent to Essex, not extreme, but sort of quite you know sound kind of quite up there uh, compared with the other one, which is um, I'm trying to think sort of maybe a little bit more like that, a bit more da- uh, da- bit more down in the mouth is the way I'd describe it. And we were working on the same song, we were doing the same technique. But what I found as I worked with these two is that I had to use a different strategy for them Mm. because I was listening to what I would call the underlying shape. You know, what's that sort of habitual shape that that vocal tract is in? Mm. And sometimes we assign a vowel position to it. So it's more of an R or an OR might be helpful. And I knew that what I'd got to do with the, um, the the girl from the Greek background was to bring the tongue a little bit more forward into the neutral position or even to more of an eh position so that she could be comfortable going into that power sound. Now, when I came to work with the other singer I'm talking about, she said, oh, I'll try that. And it, it wasn't working. I said, no, I've got a different strategy for you. Mm. And I was listening to her speaking voice and I said, you know what, just go go with me because what I want you to do is more of an ah. So we did the ah set up, boom, up she went. She'd not made a power sound up there before. And uh, we talked about it afterwards, which was how did I know? And I've said what I'm, I'm saying to you right now, which is I'm listening, listening to an underlying shape I'm listening to underlying habitual shapes and patterns and I'm working with those. And it's like Jeremy was saying earlier that every singer, every performer brings a history with them. Mm -hmm. And that's going to come from their linguistic background, from their accent, from their dialect, maybe from the way people in their um, sociocultural background speak. And um, therefore, that informs their muscularity and their shaping and their resonance. And those are the things that I was listening for on that occasion. I think it's really interesting when you look at teachers in general, I mean, not just singing teachers, but teachers in general, um, that sometimes they will have great successes and sometimes they won't. And if you're a really experienced teacher, you understand that the thing that you did with the previous client is may or may not work with the client in front of you. Mm. And likewise, the thing that you're doing with the client in front of you may not have worked for the client that's just left the room. And therefore, what you do is you develop a whole array of tools, but not just that. You actually understand what the tool is for and what the tool does and what it's based on and when to use it and when not to use it. And part of that is the diagnosis of what the person in front of you is already doing. Mm. And I think this business of here's my technique or here's my set of techniques, you just need to do them. Mm. All you're doing is overlaying your beliefs onto somebody else's voice. Mm. Now, I want to go somewhere very specific. What is the difference between a singer and a singing teacher? 
there is one main difference, and that's whose voice are you working with? Mm. When you are a singer, the only voice you're working with is yours. When you're a singing teacher, the only voice you're not working with is yours.、Mm. So, what works for you and all the instructions that you give yourself is nothing to do with the person in front of you. Yes, and the only reason I'm interrupting is this: <laughs> <laughs> you heard me take a breath, didn't、yeah. you?、Um, is that sometimes you do need to feel it for yourself? Yeah. Oh yes. And if I'm working with a client and I'm not quite sure what they're doing, I might say, "Look, let me try that out in my voice." To me, it feels like this. This is the instruction I'm giving myself.、Uh, do you want to try that? Does that work for you? So I'm always upfront about it. I think this is where we go back to that tool,、mm. because rather than hearing your student and and modelling the singing, which is a great thing to do as well.、Mm-hmm. As long as it's done with love and kindness, is for you. Or not? <laughs> it's for you as the teacher to speak in the voice that your client is singing in,、mm-hmm. because that helps you to realise better what it is that they might be doing, and you can then help them to shift that into a different direction if necessary. Now, I want to put a caveat in on this one because、mm. we do this all the time. We use this technique all the time. It's one of our signature things, and can I just say we. Teach all of our accredited trainers to do this. Yes, the caveat is: you hear somebody singing or speaking, and you try it on on your own voice, on your own instrument.、Mm-hmm. You take it in, you try it, you play with it. You come out with what you think is a matching sound. The caveat is: what you just did is not necessarily what the person in front of you is going to have to do. Mm. So that you're still running that through the filter of is this going to work for the person in front of me? Where are they、mm. coming from? One of the things that I like doing is to take it one stage further, which is to speak in or to to mentally even because I can do it mentally now. Speak in the voice that the person is using already, and then speak in the voice that they want to go to and work out what the differences are、mm-hmm. and what I did. And you sort of break down, you reverse engineer. What it is that、uh, you've just done, and then you work out whether those moves that you've just done are appropriate. You know the ballpark area, but it, you may not have exactly the right instructions. So、mm. that's when you experiment, you ask questions, and you try out. You investigate.、Yes. And there's an interim step. I'm actually giving away all of our trade secrets here. <laughs> the interim step is if you think you've found in your speaking voice. The setting that you're hearing from the singer, just chant it on one note,、mm-hmm. so that as you begin to move into sustaining, obviously you're, you're doing something that's more like singing, and then obviously you need to play around with target phrases. This is also this is very much sound based. So、That'll、this be is five hundred pounds, please. At least each. Thank you for the for ten minutes. Good.、Um, let's get our prices right.、Um, This is also very much sound based in that this is the timbre that this person is is doing. But the thing is that the moment you then put it into a song, you have a whole load of other stuff as well,、mm. which is phrasing and breathing and volume control and、uh, vowel shaping, word shaping, consonant use,、um, riffing. I mean, there's all sorts of other things that goes on. So emotional intention storytelling. Emotional intention and storytelling.、Mm. So what you're doing by this is only part of what we do. Um, just in case people go, oh well, that's the trick, and thank you.、Um, we've been taught by vocal process.、Mm, yeah, that was the other thing. Is that one of the things that we have done for the last twenty 
something years, 24 years, I think. We did our first course together where, that we promoted and taught 1997. on. 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that we've done since then has been sharing. Mm-hmm. We have shared, we've done everything that we can to share this information. And so if you want to, you can read about it in the books. You can go and get the app. Mm. You know, you can get the the hands-off courses. We've got downloadable online courses that don't you don't get the experience of us. Well, that's why in the library there's going to be about 400 products, yeah. excluding the books, because yes. there's about 10 books and a couple of chapters, isn't there? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't put the books in to the library. Sorry about that. Mm. Um, because we don't always own the copyright to them. They're, um, often you assign your copyright to a publisher for 99 years. And we've got mm. a few years to go yet. But mm. the interesting thing is it's not until you experience what we're doing when we're in the room and you get a whole load more. It's not even information from us because we share what we know. But it's the whole business of the way that we do stuff. Or when Mm. we answer your questions, it's the way that you answer the questions. And it's the wordology that you use. And it's the thought processes. And that's what you really get when you work with us live. I think this is taking us to the idea of the relationship. Because we started off talking about, you know, the whole YouTube thing and, and the implication that you might have a relationship with the person who's whom you're critiquing. Yes. And Jeremy's just been talking about the relationship between the trainer and the people in in the room. Yeah. People in the Zoom room, for instance, as most of us are at the moment. And how really that I mean it's it's interactive, it's it's a collaboration thing, mm. isn't it? We talk about having a a teacher tribe mm. and we talk about curated peer learning so we are all learning from each other and I do think singing teachers really need these conversations I'm very passionate about that Mm. that we uh, share and pool our knowledge uh, in even in these trainings Mm. and one of the things that we aim to do is to make a safe space for that to happen and the feedback that we get says that we are successful. I think it's useful to know that we always have the chat room open, the chat box mm, open, so that mm. people can ask a question any time. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, I have to tell you, I think this is one of the massive pluses about having a Zoom room. Mm. Um, rather than teaching live in the room. Because if somebody has a question and they want to ask it, you have to interrupt the person who's teaching or presenting. And they have to then stop what they're doing and talk about the question and then get back on track again. The great thing about having the chat box is that people can drop questions into the chat box at any point and we're keeping an eye on it. And then we will morph what it is that we're doing to answer some of the questions that come up. And that makes it a really live experience. And it also, every time we teach a course... It's different Mm. for precisely Mm. that reason because you've got people in the room. And, I mean, the performers who are listening will know this. Every time you perform something, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's the same song. It's the same lineup. It's the same, you know, time of day, whatever it is. But every time you do it, it's different. And part of that, and a very big part of it, is the energy of the people in the room Mm. because they contribute to your performance. And we feel the same, which is the energy of the people in the room contribute to the course. So, you know, somebody can ask a question that we haven't necessarily answered before, Mm. but we know it. And just the act of asking the question will draw that information out of your brain in a particular way to answer something that has never been worded quite like that before. And you go, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not I thought of it that not way. Not thought of it mm. that way before. And that happens a lot. I have to say, that's why we only do two-hour training sessions. Although <laughs> we've, tiring. Got, we've, got, <laughs> we've got two and a half hours coming up for the M1 and M2, haven't we? We have. Because we're having people who haven't worked with us before, and there's a little bit of ground to lay. And I think we might be doing that with the next belting and power sounds. That's not till May. Isn't it? Yep. May okay. the 9th. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. If you want to find out anything about these these um, courses and pop-ups and the, mm. the online masterclasses and workshops that mm. we do, www.store.vocalprocess.co.uk. Uh, uh, I think it's slash courses and retreats. But if you just go on to store.vocalprocess.co.uk, you'll find it. It'll be in the show notes. Won't it, it will be in the mm. show notes. We'll mm. put the link in the show notes. Just what? Have we sort of... Done. Have we aired? Steve, um, have we answered your question? It's yes. Been have 29 we minutes. Is that all right? It's pretty good going, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that question, actually. I'm sure that you're not the only person asking it. Yeah. You've taken a breath. I've and taken you, a you've breath. You've stopped. Yeah. And I'm wondering where you're going next. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm just wondering if this is... Are we done? If this is done, if this is a short one. Are we done? We're probably done. I think we are. We yeah. got a fair amount of mileage out of that question. Yeah. If you want to ask us a question that you, you want us to spend 29 minutes on, then... <laughs> oh, i tell you what. I've got okay. some... Speakpipe.com uh, slash vocal process. I've got homework for them. Oh, homework. Okay. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Listen to two different singers. Yep. And practice speaking in the voice that you think you're hearing. Yep. Love that. So enjoy that one and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher.